Man, great to have you here and uh, great to be celebrating Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, most of us have not our favorite team in the Super Bowl. So we're rooting for those commercials. Come on, make them fun, right? And uh, But it should be a good game today. I'm excited about it. And, uh, you know, we are in a series in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6 and 7. Romans 6 and 7. And it's called Gospel Deep, His Glory Unleashed. His Glory Unleashed. And, uh, man, as we dig into Romans 6 and 7, the meat is thick. The details so rich and true. And, and here's the value of it. We get to learn how to wrestle in this world, how to grow with our king. May God be glorified. Romans chapter 6 and 7, his glory unleashed. Hey, we're not just going deep. We're going... You still got it. We're going gospel deep, man. That's what it's all about. And as we go through this year, may God's word just come alive to us. All right. So uh, in Romans chapter six, which we've spent in the last few weeks, we've been learning this simple truth and we are dead to sin. If you have trusted Christ as your savior, if you understand that he has died on the cross for your sins and you've said, Lord, I believe you've risen from the dead. I'm, I'm counting on you and trusting in you as my God. Please forgive me. If that's been your position, God's now in charge of your life. His death on the cross covering your payment of what's owed for sin. That's saved, man. And as we walk with him and as we trust in him, know this fact. We are dead to sin. Romans chapter 6. And the clarity of that is amazing. The hope in that is amazing. It's this. Sin does not have dominion over me. It's this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. And, uh, yeah, well, I'm not really experiencing that personally, Tim. And, and, and I'm trying to get through that. And I appreciate the last couple of weeks. And hang on. Don't worry. We're still going through some more. And God's got a lot more to teach us in Romans 7 about getting our arms around that truth and how we can begin to make progress, him transforming us, all right? But we are, fact, dead to sin. Amen? Man, that's a fact. Christ has paid for it. Victory over it. No eternal punishment anymore. And in fact, even more than that, ability in the here and now to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, dead to sin. Uh, Romans chapter 7 Not just dead to sin, but now also, and dead to the law. Man, this is a big deal to understand and grasp. And if we don't get it down, all of a sudden we start going off into some really wrong teaching about scripture. We are, fact, dead to the law if we've trusted in Christ as our savior. What does that even mean, Tim? And how do I go about living that? Glad you asked. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, verse 1, and let's get that on. We got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? We are going to walk verse by verse through the first six verses here. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and they'll get one to you. Dead to the law. What does that mean, and how do I go about it? Uh, first point, recognize that the law is binding only as long as we live. Recognize that the law is binding only as long as we live. Uh, the first point is a perspective point. We've got to have this understood. We have to have this in view. And it changes everything on how we view scripture. All right. Recognize that the law is binding only as long as we live. 
He starts in verse 1 of chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Can you tell where I got my point from? Right? Let's just be really clear. When, when scripture's clear, let's just use it as it stands, all right? And the, the law is only binding as long as we live. And uh, he says, after that, he's got an illustration, all right? And he dives into it. Notice he says, do you not know? This is Paul's way of saying, come on, remember what we've taught. And I need you to remember what you have grasped. In large measure, he's probably also speaking to a Jewish community within Rome. And he's saying, come on, you guys know the law and you know what it's about. He says, do you not know? For I am speaking to those who know the law. Well, that's great for them who knew the law. What about us? What if I don't know the law? And what does it even mean? And all right, so I just wrote these down. The law is eight things here, okay? The law is. Number one, the law is actually called the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. The law is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they would call the law. The first five books of our Old Testament, that would be the broad-based reference law. Okay, so the law is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Let's get more narrowed, though. The law is also, number two, the Ten Commandments. It's found within the first five books of the Bible. It's in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And so sometimes when you see the word law, they're referring specifically to the Ten Commandments. It's a part of the overall law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, all right? The law, it's the Ten Commandments, so a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt nots, right? And there's some clarity to it. Uh, number three, the law is also rules for social life. There were some relationship rules Uh, In fact, in Exodus 21 through 23, you see that real specifically. The rules for social life. Number four, the law is also rules for worship. Rules for worship. That's in Exodus 25 through 31. And so we're seeing it in the first five books, number one, in the Ten Commandments, in the rules for social life, in the rules for worship. Maybe here's one big summary overall. Number five, it's called the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. See, when Paul was talking to them and he says, you know the law, he's saying, you understand it's the old covenant, okay? It's this promise, this agreement between God and man, but it's considered old. It's been replaced by the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 is a great passage to read on that and get more detail to it. The law, it's the old covenant. Um, It has been fulfilled. Everybody say fulfilled. We better get that square. The law has been fulfilled. All right. Uh, Number six, the law. It's also called the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. Huge for us to understand. See, all too often we start getting all uptight about the law and the fact that we come up short. And and so we start saying the law has problems. But actually in James 1.25, it's called the perfect law of liberty. Okay, there is truth in the law. There is an understanding of God and his character in the law. There is a grasping of how God interacts with and calls for people to interact. The law, it's actually perfect in its nature. Number seven, yet it makes no one perfect. Yet it makes no one perfect. Uh, that comes from Hebrews seven nineteen. It makes no one perfect. 
That's a big deal. Man, no matter how hard we try to follow the law, the law itself is nothing more than a measuring stick. You know what I'm saying? The law is like that clown standing at the front of the line and you have to be taller than it or you can't take the ride. You know what I'm saying? And with the law, we all come up short. Simple. The law is a measuring stick. It's not that the line was drawn inappropriately. It's not that the information given is incorrect. No, the law is perfect. We're coming up short, right? We're not measuring up. And it doesn't change us to see the law, to try to execute the law, to try to continue over and 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 over to try to get it right. That doesn't change us. Everybody say that doesn't change. That doesn't change us. Uh, the law makes no one perfect. All right. And number eight, the law, it's our tutor to lead us to Christ. It's our tutor to lead us to Christ. That's a quote. It comes right from Galatians three twenty four. And I don't know if there's a better statement for what the law could be understood as our tutor that leads us to Christ. What does it mean? It means the law has been so clear that we come up short that we must turn around at some point and go, then what is the way? And there's the tutor leading us to Christ, right? And in that moment, we're like, there must be a better answer. And yes, there is a savior who has lived perfectly, who has died for you and me, a replacement payment made available. And he now applies that to you if you trust in him as savior and the law fulfilled in Jesus Christ, perfect as it stands, but incapable of changing you. Now Christ and the Holy Spirit come in and he rocks your world. The law, great measuring stick, not so good for changing you and me, right? He says, do you not know brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. The eight things we just talked about that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Quite frankly, this is kind of a no duh statement, right? Like what can you really do to someone when they've passed away, right? And the law, there's supposed to be some kind of punishment that comes along in it or something that happens in it. And, and now that person is no longer with us. Well, there's not much you can do there, right? And it's so kind of, it's a no duh, but we must understand the law is for this side of heaven. It's temporal, okay? It had a point to show the way of a need to Jesus Christ. We absolutely can't do it on our own, and we need a Savior. That's the point of the law. He says now, for, in, chapter, in verse 2 there, for, okay, like, let me give you an example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. His example is marriage. And uh, he says, let me just jump to this one. It's a covenant. It's made for life, marriage. And um, let's just say the American view of marriage, not so much biblical. Okay? The American view of marriage. Yeah, I said for richer, for poorer, and until death do us part. But what I meant is until you really bother me. Right? And uh, not biblical marriage. Okay? Biblical marriage. It's a covenant for life. And we're taking this up together and we're going to work through things together and we're going to grow together. And there's times where I need to change and times where you need to change and times where we need to change and marriage. And we're going to grow in this together. And this side of heaven, it's a covenant and I'm bound through that marriage once and for all. 
it says, while he lives, she is bound by law. So woman and man get married, covenant over them, everything in God's eyes is binding them. And I, I just say it this way when we teach. There are two umbrellas over marriage, if you want to think of it this way, okay? There's a smaller one and the bigger one, all right? And, and the smaller one, that's the legal. That's what does the state say, okay? And the, the state viewing you as married, and then over the top, God's covenant and God viewing you as married, okay? And so we'll talk about it in just a second, but I'm telling you, we run into a little bit of struggle when the state unbiblically and for the wrong reason says, ah, never mind. Well, let me tell you, God's covenant still stands in place. And that's where we run into struggle. Really? Are you sure, Tim? Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Uh, that's a problem, right? She's called an adulteress if she's living with another man while her husband is alive. The measure, has he passed away? No, then you are bound by covenant to him and um, adulterous if you're with somebody else in the meantime. Listen, when the state has said, never mind, no co- no fault, you're, you're free to go on. But God is saying covenant's still in place. And then you come in and try to bring a new person in. God is saying, no, you are still originally in covenant bound to the first and we have a problem. And that would be called adultery. Living with someone who's not your spouse. I know a question is banging in your head right now. Hang on, we'll get to it. Okay? It says, But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. If her husband dies, then she is free from the law. Okay, at that point, the covenant is broken. Freedom is given. And now at that point, the woman, this side of heaven, standing here on earth, and the husband now on the other side, right? And that covenant broken. She is not married to him. He is not married to her. And in that moment, she is now free to marry another. Okay? That's the example Paul gives. This is exactly what marriage is supposed to be. All right? This is a biblical example of the intent of marriage. Everybody get that? So this is the uh, marriage in its best should be intended for life. And uh, we are told in two other passages of Scripture, so this is where you let Scripture sharpen Scripture, that there are um, two reasons or exceptions for divorce, okay? And look, this isn't a marriage preach today. And uh, this passage, quite frankly, while he brings in marriage as an analogy, is simply to show you that the law is only binding while we are alive, okay? That's the point to get here, but I don't want to walk past the marriage thing real fast. It's a big question in our society. All right. And so let me just say this. The two exception verses that are given are passages. First, first Corinthians, or I'm sorry. We'll, yeah, we'll go that first. First Corinthians seven verses 12 to 15. First Corinthians seven verses 12 to 15. That's one of the exceptions that you're married to someone and that someone ends up saying this whole Jesus thing is a joke and, and I'm done. I'm not a believer and I don't want to follow him and you and your following of Jesus bother me and I'm out of here. And the unbeliever walks okay in that case you can grant like as a church we can say we're good with understanding that you're trying to resolve but they're walking away and as an unbeliever walking you can let that happen please hear me the unbeliever is the one walking who's the one walking please remember that all right this is not my my spouse is an unbeliever they bother me i'm leaving them not that this is i'm in 
And uh, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 15 on your own at some time. You'll see the clarity to it. In fact, all of chapter 7 is great for marriage clarity, all right? But that's one of the exceptions. And then another exception, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Matthew 19, 1 through 10, and it actually says there, if there is marital unfaithfulness, except for marital unfaithfulness, right? In that case, then divorce is allowed, okay? And where we have biblical divorce, that's the covenant is broken, there can be remarriage, okay? So there are two causes for divorce biblically, two, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7. Well, what about the no-fault thing in Illinois? Yeah, I've said enough, right? That is not biblical, okay? So the bottom line is, it's work it out. If Matthew 19 is what's in place, there's something we need to talk out then. There is a freedom that can occur there. If there has been an affair, there's some freedom that can occur. Hear me, it doesn't even have to occur. It's up to the spouses to try to decide what they want to do and work through this. And we have seen great victory where marriages have been restored after that. Praise be to God, okay? So it's not must, it's may, can, okay, after an affair, or if the unbeliever walks. That's how marriage works. That's how we're working marriage in this church. And uh, so when we're talking about marrying someone, we're asking that they sit in that position and that they understand that they haven't been married before, or if there has, that that has been managed according to Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7. All right? Everybody understand? That was the most quiet yes I've ever heard. Everybody understand? All right. If you don't, feel free to call us as a pastoral staff. We are ready to walk it through in a big way. Okay? Please call us on it. Clarity to marriage. The main point to marriage is this. It is for life. It is a covenant binding contract. It is law between man and woman underneath God, and it lasts until one of the partners passes away. The main intent of marriage. Everybody get that? The main intent. All right. So that being said, he then says, uh, she is free from the law if she marries another man uh, if her husband dies. We just need to continue to say over and over again, free from the law once there has been a passing away, a death. All right. Good illustration. Um, John F. Kennedy. He was uh, shot in 1963 as the president, 35th president of the United States, down in Dallas, uh, driving the streets there. And he was shot. At this point, there have been some uh, studies done, and I'll just leave it at (laughs) a governmental statement made about uh, somebody being guilty of that, Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, you can have your opinion on that all you want. All right. Lee Harvey Oswald claimed to have shot him three times is what they said in a very fast period of time. And, uh, and then as he was trying to escape, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot and killed by someone else. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald never went to trial. He was never found guilty. No information or material was ever brought forward and shown in a way that had to be able to prove it because... Lee Harvey Oswald died. He was no longer under the law. The law was not there to find him guilty when there was no more life to be working with. All right? It's a very simple example, but it's a very real poignant example for us to understand that the law is existing for those who are alive. 
All right. And there needs to be some kind of death in order to break covenant in order to break that binding law. It's not that complex. It's pretty basic. Law is binding as long as we're alive. Got it? So simple question. Do you have the right perspective towards the law? Do you get that the law is only binding as long as both parties are alive? Do you see the need for death in order to free you from the law? That's what Paul's trying to get to in the first few verses here. Death frees us from the binding of the law. Okay? Everybody got it? It's a perspective thing. Get ready because it'll help when we get to point number two. Here we go. Point number two. You have died with Christ and are free from the law. Bear fruit for your new king. You have died with Christ and are free from the law. Bear fruit for your new king. Are you hearing it? There is death required in order to be free from the law. You have died with Christ. Okay, here we go. Starting in verse four. Likewise, my brothers. Are you hearing it? He's like, we just got done talking about how the law frees you once there's been a death. Okay. And so as woman standing next to man and, and if the man dies, the woman is free to marry another. All right. And likewise, my brothers, just so you know, that was in the plural and in the masculine form, brothers, it basically meant brothers and sisters, all inclusive, all those hearing him. Right. It said, so basically, likewise, my brothers and sisters, uh, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. Hear me. Christ has died on the cross and risen again. And his death is your death. You have died with him and risen. His death applied to your life. If you trust in him, if you are a brother or a sister in Christ, if you have said, Lord, I believe in you and I count on your death and resurrection, then you have died with Christ. All right. And if you have died with Christ, then you have died to the law. You're dead, man. The law is broken. It's done. It's over. It no longer applies to you. It no longer applies to you. It has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the law, well, the law is done. Now let that settle for a moment, all of us who grew up in legalistic churches. Right? And let's think about that for a moment. That's not how I lived, man. I was following the law every moment of every day trying to, yeah. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Can you see how horrific legalism is when it puts us back under the law and says, Christ's death doesn't have it accomplished. Now start living that law. You live it or you lose it. Are you hearing the heinousness of that statement? It's taking away everything that Christ did. And it's making it simply this back on my shoulders. Remember, the law does not make us perfect ever, ever. All right. It's that simple. We need to trust in Jesus Christ and his death for us has broken and severed the covenant contract with the law. It's done. 
Praise be to God. It's fulfilled. Praise be to God. We have hope in him. We have life in him. We have awesome opportunity in him. That's what it looks like. All right. Three wrong approaches to the law. And if we're dead to the law, what does that even mean? Three wrong approaches to the law. Number one, uh, we approach God's law to get salvation, to get saved. Like, I'm going to try to do everything there, man. And if I can abide by all the do's and don'ts that I'm aware of, I can be saved. I'm going to be good enough. Right? Wrong use of the law. To try to be good enough, to try to measure up, to try to get saved. The second mistake, to try to stay saved. Okay, yeah, it was all through Christ and his shed blood and I get all that. But now, now I have to keep doing it or I'll lose it. And to stay saved, wrong use of the law. Okay, the law is not to get us saved. The law is not to keep us saved. And maybe even here's a third one. Uh, to try to be appreciated or respected by all those around us. I'm not even worried about salvation. I'm just saying this. Am I not awesome? Do you see what I'm accomplishing? Right? And we start using the law as a measuring stick and we're like, dude, you so didn't measure up and neither did I, but man, did I come closer? <laughs> right? And uh, three really poor ways to use the law. To get saved, to stay saved, or even just to compare ourselves against one another so we can feel good as we wake up in the morning and go to bed at night that at least there's other people that are more losers than I am. Poor use of the law, all right? And uh, huge deal. We are dead to the law. The law needs to be completely fulfilled, 100% no error. I, I can't do that. Exactly. And the law is a tutor that leads us to Jesus Christ. We need a savior. Jesus Christ is our savior. He has done that. He has fulfilled the law 100%. Okay. Well, what role does the law play then, Tim? Hang on. We're going to get to it. It's at the last part of the section. All right. He says now, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead. Listen, if you think that the resurrection means nothing, you're not reading scripture. All right? Death of Christ is great. And we always talk about it. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. So true. But listen, Christ was raised from the dead. And there is new life in him. And there is resurrection hope. And there is an eternal life with him. He is the author of eternity. Our King, Jesus Christ. And he is risen from the dead. Amen. And that's who we worship. The God who has victory over sin. The God who has victory over death. The God who brings new life for you and for me. We have hope eternal in him. Our savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is who we worship. We bring our everything before him. And we watch him do an amazing thing in us. Nothing we deserved. Him transforming me from one degree of glory to the next. As I just lay myself before him, you're in charge. You're in charge. Notice he says here, so that you may belong to another. So that you may belong to another. Remember we talked about this last week. Uh, You are a slave to either sin 
or to Christ. There is no other. We want to walk around and say, yeah, but dude, you don't know me. I'm my own man. Like I, I'm living for me, right? That's called living for sin, right? Self and flesh and me. And it's all about me. And yes, right. That's the definition and the American way. Yes, that's the definition. All right. And as we model in America, what it looks like to be horrifically unsaved. Are you hearing me? That's our model. Did you know that? Everything. Take, take hold of it yourself. You make the difference and it's all about you, man. And you live true to yourself and your feelings and yada, 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 yada. Self and flesh and me. And that's the one master. And the other master is Jesus Christ, God Almighty. It's called obedience and righteousness as well. It's when God has his hand in our lives. There are one of two masters. And let me tell you, the master named Jesus Christ is gentle and powerful and giving and loving and life-changing. And sin is destructive and horrific and insatiable. And it eats you alive. There is an awesome master and his name is Jesus Christ. It says that we might belong to another to Jesus Christ, to him who raised him from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. In order, in order that. Now, every time you see that phrase, in order that, you need to be thinking, purpose statement. There's a main goal in why this is going down. Like, why is God making this happen? In order that we might bear fruit for God. Bear fruit, you know, like when a tree grows up and the branches reach out and all of a sudden apples start coming off of it, right? Fruit for God. Like the kind of fruit where when you come up, the apple is just this gorgeous, bright red. You touch it and it falls off the tree. Every part of you is screaming, oh, bite into it, man. Right? That kind of fruit. This awesome, ripe, rich, good looking fruit for God. You see, with him at your roots, then that's what comes out in the fruit. It's your heart being transformed and you pouring into him and you letting him have his way with you and you bear fruit for him. We've talked about this before, but the fruit of the spirit, right? Pouring out through you and all those details in Galatians 5 of who the spirit is as he's beginning to shape and change that in you that you might look more like him. Conform to the image of Christ is what Romans 8 calls it. We're going to get there in a few weeks. All right. What a great opportunity we have to bear fruit for God. It brings him glory. Notice it's not bear fruit for me. See that? Like I'm not trying to be all productive and and, uh, functional and helpful. And I walked someone across the street yesterday and they dropped a bag and I helped refill it for them. And and afterwards I was like patting them on the back and they're like, you're such a good man. Okay, that's not what it's about. All right. It's great if they see that and it's great to have appreciation and to say thank you to someone is awesome. And, And for you to even say, no problem. I appreciate it. Thanks. Praise be to God. Just get it back to him, will you? He's the one who's making a change in your life. Make it about him. Bring him the glory. That's what it looks like. The fruit that keeps bringing you the glory. That's the one where you walk up and you look at the apple and it's got like three holes through it and all this brown crud around it. There's worms inside of it and it's kind of shriveled up and you touch it and it just hangs there some more 
right? You got to tug on it like four or five times. And finally it snaps the whole branch and you cut it open and it's nasty brown all in fruit for me. Like there's something going on in me that says it's going to be all about me and I'm going to show me off. And that's a big mistake. Uh, We're here to be able to reveal fruit for God. It says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Uh, Aroused by the law. Did you know that that's what happens? The law makes you want to sin more. Did you know that? When you hear a law, you're like, oh no, you did not just bound me, right? And uh, like we have two daughters. I have permission to share this. We have two daughters. And so when we say like, here's the line, do not cross it. All right. Our older daughter, Megan, bless her heart, is like that line. Yeah, that line. This one. Yeah. Like that. You don't want that. Or this. That You don't want that. You don't want this. Right? Don't cross that line like this. You don't want this. Is that what you're saying? Well, I've crossed it. Now what? <laughs> right, that's Megan. And uh, here's Alyssa. That line? Right there. That line. Yeah, that line. <laughs> All right, I'm away from the line. Quote, Mommy, am I a good girl? Not like Megan. <laughs> Quote, she was like two years old. Right, that was always the big deal. I'm staying away from there. And let me tell you, just drawing that line brought this out. Pride, you will not stop me from crossing it. Pride, I won't cross it. I'm awesome. I'm awesome right here. It brings it out in you. It arouses in your flesh rebellion. It just does, man. And the end. And there's no fighting it. That's the way it is. As the law comes out, it doesn't make us better. It just brings out the flesh and the self and the passions. It says we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We are released from the law. We are released from the law. That which held us captive, we are dead to that. Dead to the law. Dead to its control and manipulation of my flesh. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. He is pouring into me his glory. He is changing me from one degree of glory to the next. He is rocking my world with transformation. The Holy Spirit's doing a mighty work. The law, forget it, man. Fulfilled in Christ. Now the Spirit is doing the work. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Every moment we live, every day we breathe, we have this choice on our knees, belonging to Jesus Christ, letting him speak into us and move in us, letting his spirit transform us or more of me. Why would we ever go back and mirror what is no longer true? We are dead to the law. Let's stop living like it brings us life. Can you now see the tragedy of legalism? Can you see the devastation that's taught 
when we bring law before others and say, if you do this, then. That is so not his plan. Jesus Christ, his shed blood, victory over sin, the law fulfilled, we are dead to the law. And all of God's people said, man, we have freedom. He says, so that we may serve, here we go, so that, purpose statement, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So that we may serve in the new way of the spirit. Hear me, we are not broken away from the law so that we can be rebel and do whatever we want. He's covered that. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Romans chapter 6 verse 15. We've covered it. What? Are we just going to keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. And when it comes to the law, no, you're not disregarding the law. But now you're walking in the way of the spirit If the Holy Spirit is not a part of your walk, if you're not interested and intrigued by the Spirit's impressing upon you what needs to change, His power over you, you're missing it. You're trying to go back to the law and do it legalistically. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And you're trying to wrestle your way through to victory. It doesn't work. Everybody just say, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Can we please be done with the muscling it? I've got the facts. Now I'm just going to go do it. Can we be done with that? It is the way of the spirit. It's your Holy Spirit within you taking up residence, him transforming you as he's revealing himself. He's going to show you things about him you never knew before. He's going to stun you with his glory, with his power, with his knowledge and insight. You and him, you're on a journey call it a walk. You're on a journey and the Holy Spirit is going to do and say and teach things to you that no one can match. And you have that privilege. You are dead to sin and you are dead to the law. You are alive to God, your father in the Holy Spirit and you live for him. May Christ be glorified fruit that comes from you that could never come any other way. The Spirit doing a mighty, mighty work. That is what it looks like to walk with him. He closes it out here and he just says, not in the, uh, in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Not in the old way of the written code. Not letter by letter, word by word, follow the law, struggle through. Let that covenant try to be a change covenant. You know how it's a change covenant? It shows you that you need a tutor. It shows you you need Jesus Christ. That's how. The law shows you your shortcoming and proves to you you need a king. And he's got it in hand. And he's lived perfectly. Can you imagine? Just for a moment. Imagine. Side by side with Christ while he walked on this earth. Perfectly. Perfectly, stunningly, powerfully, as he taught, as he healed, as he promised, and then as he went to the cross for you and for me. And as his nails were punched through the arms and through the legs, as he was whipped and mocked and beaten, as his last breaths were taken and he cried out the words, they were, it is finished. 
and we are dead to sin and we are dead to the law. Jesus Christ has done the work. May we live with him. May we live for him. May we walk in newness of life in the new way of the spirit. Amazing grace. Amen. Amazing grace. I could never earn it myself, but you've earned it for me. I see the lists and I can't even accomplish them, but Lord, with you on my knees, and I'm telling you I'm ready for these knees to be bloodied if they need to be, I'm here with you. Change me. Shape me. I'm ready to hear from you. Dead to the law and alive in the spirit. Praise be to God. That's what it means to be saved. May we celebrate him as we go out this week. Let's pray.